The second reading is taken from Colossians, chapter 4, beginning at the seventh verse. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Help us to stand firm, uh, mature and fully assured in what you have done for us. Uh, Through your word we pray. Amen. Right. As you probably realise as it was being read, our passage from Colossians seems a fitting reading for our final four o'clock service. Uh, On the one hand, these are verses of conclusion and farewell. Uh, On the other, they are looking ahead to an uncertain future. The Colossians, as we've seen throughout this letter, are a small band of faithful believers, ignored by the powerful, mocked by those who think they know better. And Paul himself, their leader, is in chains, a prisoner, uncertain of his future. So as he closes his letter, what can Paul say? As I speak at this final four o'clock service, the situation actually isn't that different. Now, I hope none of us are about to be dragged off to prison. We are few in number, 
We too live in a society which either ignores our faith or outright mocks us. And the future may well feel uncertain for all sorts of reasons, one of which may be what will church life look like without the four o'clock service. So as I give this final four o'clock sermon, what can I say? Well, I'm going to take my cue from Paul himself. Seems like a fairly safe thing to do. What would the apostle have me say? Even though Paul is saying goodbye, these verses assume that the show will go on. They burst with activity and purpose, all of which goes on regardless of what will happen to Paul. How so? Well, it comes down, first of all, to the people. I mean, these verses are filled with people. They are people with unpronounceable names, most of them, but they are still people. Uh, we've got Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Barnabas, Jesus, etc., etc., etc. And these aren't just names. They are dear brothers, dear sisters, dear friends, faithful ministers, fellow prisoners, fellow servants, fellow workers. These are deeply precious relationships. The Colossians are not alone, and Paul is not alone. These people care very deeply for one another. I don't know if you picked it up as Alice was reading, but six times in these verses, Paul passes on greetings from friends separated by great distances. Paul himself sends not one, but two messengers, so that, I quote, you will know all about our circumstances and to tell you everything that is happening here. These are dear relationships. People want to know what is going on in each other's lives. And none of this is small talk. Um, Paul sends this messenger, Tychicus, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Uh, Verses 10 to 11, he mentions how Aristarchus, Mark and Justus have proved a comfort for me. Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Encouragement, comfort, maturity, assurance. Throughout these verses, Paul is clear that these relationships have purpose and meaning and value. He may be addressing a small band of believers The people mentioned here may be scattered across the first century Mediterranean. But as he puts it in verse 11, they are all working together for the kingdom of God itself. They are brothers and sisters and co-workers in the service of Christ. These are ministries that have been received in the Lord. So as Paul says his goodbye, he is confident that the show will go on, that the Colossians will keep standing firm. And how so? Well, he knows the people. He knows their love for one another. And he knows the Lord whom they love and whose kingdom they serve. And he knows that this Lord will keep them standing firm, whatever happens. As I look out on the four o'clock service, I think back to four years of four o'clock services. I share Paul's confidence. Now, I'm not looking at Tychicus and Nesimus Aristarchus and the rest, but I am looking at dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, fellow servants, faithful ministers and co-workers in Christ. As I look back over the past four years, I've been privileged to witness 
and be part of exactly the same thing that Paul describes here. Deep mutual concern and care. Seemingly small gestures. Sometimes it is as simple as passing on of greetings and news. Um, Very often when I will go to visit Kath, Kath will ask me for news of Margaret Butler. When I go to visit Margaret Butler, Margaret Butler will ask uh, ask me news of Kath. So many things I could mention. The popping round for a cup of tea after a serious diagnosis. Helping the less agile among us back across the road. I remember the countless lifts home given to Colin Lown after Joan died, simply so he could keep coming to church. I don't think any of you with the facilities to do so have let me into your homes without offering me a cup of tea. And many who have been suffering with acute pain have nonetheless asked me how I am doing, how Alice is doing. Small words of encouragement here and there. I remember one particularly depressing and rainy afternoon. I got a hug from Pam Hinton, which just made all the difference. Seemingly small and simple gestures, unnoticed by most, yet noticed by God. Like those in our reading from, the Coloss- from Colossians, you at the 4pm service have pressed on in the ministry of love and care that you have received from the Lord. And in so doing, as you probably guessed, you have been a great encouragement and comfort and assurance and all those things Paul's mentioned to me. You have taught me how to stand firm more and more in the will of God. Uh, There's a lovely African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, Well, if that's true, it takes a 4pm service to raise a curate. Um, I actually went and looked up my very first 4pm sermon when I was still an ordinand at Ridley. 27th of November 2013, that was my fourth ever sermon. This is my 109th. Um, I remember my first official sort of pastoral visit uh, was to Joan and Audrey and Evelyn uh, up in Ventress Farm Court. That was in July 2015. And I confess I was actually quite nervous big thing, first official pastoral visit, will they like me? And yet I would count Joan and Audrey and Evelyn, not simply as parishioners now, but as friends. That's why it's a great privilege to be taking Evelyn's memorial service tomorrow. Uh, In just over two weeks, I shall be starting a new role just up the road. And I enter it confident because what I have learnt here, what I have been taught by you, and all of you in different ways um, have done that. Uh, And my thanks must go to you all for precisely those things that Paul commends. Encouragement, comfort, assurance. Um, All sorts I could mention. Pam, for for helping me not to abandon the more reflective side of my relationship with God. Kath, for what it means to pray in the middle of suffering. Uh, Pat and David, for always setting the example of chatting to new people at the four o'clock. Um, Eileen and Janet often um, assuring me that, yes, there will in fact be people at the four o'clock to minister to uh, when I turn up. Um, If she were here, I would want to thank Margaret Butler for the example of supernatural patience she has shown in caring to Brian. Um, And, of course, there is Thea. Um, I suspect many of you do know this, but it is Thea who has kept me in the loop in just about every pastoral crisis this service has been through. Um, Meditat and Sina, Thelma and Graham, Peter and Dagmar. Without you, Thea, I would never have met those people, still less have had the privilege 
of walking them, walking with them through their final years. So to all of you, thank you. Uh, at this point, there are some specific people I would also like to thank who have made our gatherings and our worship here possible. Uh, first of all, there are some ministry trainees. I'm glad there's two ministry trainees here. Every fortnight, the office team diligently puts together the service orders, sends them to me for proofreading, uh, which I often fail to do properly, prints them uh, and staples them for us, and also does tea and biscuits. Um, so in my time, we've had Carl, Fran, Lewis, uh, Charlotte, and Sophie has helped out with tea and coffee a lot as well. Um, now, of course, those ministry trainees aren't here, so I'm going to have to ask Charlotte uh, and Sophie to represent them. Um, so on behalf of all the ministry Thank you very much uh, for all you have done for us. Now, slightly further to walk, I'm afraid. Uh, Malcolm and also Julian um, and Simon Day, uh, in the early years of my time, you have served us wonderfully, um, and without you, um, our worship would not be possible. I think one reason I was given the four o'clock service to run by Steve was he knew I'm an absolute sucker for classic hymns on the organ, and it's been a delight of this ministry to hear it praying. So Malcolm, when you get a moment there, um, uh, is a card and a bottle of something uh, behind the table behind me. So thank you. Um, And then there has been the man who has kept me on the straight and narrow, kept the sound desk working when I've broken it, uh, reminded me of so many things um, I'd already forgotten. Uh, So Charles, thank you for your comradeship in this ministry. Similarly, there is something for you behind the table. Thank you. But before I finish, um, when I look back on the past four years, I realize that my deepest thanks are actually due to those who are no longer with us. Colin, Joan, Metat and Sina, Thelma and Graham, Peter Cowling, Peter and Dagmar, and now sadly Evelyn. And it's actually them, I think, who taught me the most. I mean, of course, they taught me a lot, a great deal in their lives. Um, Colin's smile, Evelyn's perseverance... But I've been especially aware of the privilege it has been to walk with people through the shadow of the valley of death. I realize it's a rare thing for a young man in his 20s to have such privileged encounters. Um, Young men tend to think that they will live forever. Um, But unsurprisingly, walking with those people to their ends has given me a new perspective on life and on the good news of Christ. And that's why I chose that reading from Isaiah 43 for our Old Testament reading. Um, It's a favorite passage of mine. Uh, For me, it's one of the best summaries in the Bible of the good news that we proclaim. I've read this passage at the bedsides of many. Thelma, Peter, Sina. Um, I read it to Kath and the Arthur Rank as well. Uh, I I think I read it to Medhat in Fullbourne when he was there. And I read it to Evelyn when she was still in Addenbrooke's. It's a passage that takes us back to the God who comforts, who encourages, who assures. And it reminds us that we stand firm and we keep going, and that the show goes on only in the strength that the Lord himself provides. The Lord who created us, who formed us, as verse 1 puts it. What does he say to us? Well, verse 1, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. There's something very beautiful and intimate about those words. You are the Lord's. You belong to him. He knows you by name. 
you're not simply Christians. You're not simply the 4pm service. No, you are you. You are known by name. Pat, David, Kath, Janet, Dan, Anne, Eileen, David, everyone. You belong to the Lord. He knows you by name. And why? Well, because he created you. He formed you. But also because he redeemed you. He brought you back from something. Um, Imagine a carpenter making a wonderful piece of art, which was stolen from him and then put up for sale. This carpenter was so fond of this work of art he had made that he paid the price for it, even though it was his by rights already. That's the idea. You belong to God twice over. He made you, and he has redeemed you. He has brought you back. And how? Well, verses 3 and 4 speak of a ransom. There's this image of whole peoples and nations being handed over in exchange for God's people. Egypt, Cush, Sabre, so that's now um, Cush is the Sudan, Sabre is Yemen. Vast empires um, in the Indian Ocean being exchanged for God's people. And yet we're here not because nations have been handed over in exchange for us. No, God spared something far more precious for you, the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ, handed over to die on a cross. That's what we remember and celebrate month by month with the Lord's Supper, that exchange, that ransom payment. And it's a good thing to ask, why would God do such a thing? In fact, the previous chapter, Isaiah 42, has been spent reminding God's people of their sin, their failure, their wickedness, how there was nothing in and of themselves that could make God love them. So why does God do it? Well, verse 4, Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you. You are precious to God. You are honoured by him, and he loves you. That is why he sent his son to die for you. And what does that mean for us as we face the perhaps uncertain future, as we face whatever life throws at us, failure, disappointment, pain, illness, and yes, death itself. When we face these things, what difference does this make? Well, simply these words in verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I, God, will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Verse 5, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And in a church building, we sometimes fail to realize just what those words are saying. Um, But as I learned in Arthur Rank in Fullbourne in Addenbrookes, amid huge pain and suffering, what these words really mean. To be able to say to Colin, to Thelma, to Cena, to Evelyn. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. The Lord is with you. When you pass through death, he will be with you. He knows you by name. He has bought you with the blood of Christ. You are his. In every way that matters, the show will go on. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Because through Christ, he has called you by name and redeemed you. 
That is why you love one another. That is why you've loved me and Alice so well. And that is why one day God will gather us all back together. Verses 5 and 6. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Whatever happens to us, whatever struggles we face, this is where we are going. It would be truly awful, horrific, if all that mutual care and concern by the Colossians, Colossians, by you as the four o'clock service, it would be horrific if that was wasted, if all we did was simply die, as if we had never existed. And yet all that love and care is simply the first fruits of a much greater harvest that is still to come. For us and for the Colossians and for every small band of faithful believers throughout history, this image in verses 5 and 6 is our destination. Around the throne of the Lord Jesus himself, with the angelic organ playing, reunited with Joan and Colin, Medhat, Thelma, Peter, Cena, Evelyn, and so many more, we will stand together, the ransomed, the redeemed, the precious, the beloved, and we shall give God the glory for which he is due. Whatever the future holds in the short term for seniors' ministry at Christchurch, this is ultimately where we are all going, because this is the Lord who loves you, has redeemed you, and called you by name. Grace be with you all, always.